0: So before we get started, uh, just two things. Uh, The Lord was speaking to me. First, the Lord did give me a vision for you all. And uh, what occurred in the vision was I actually saw the front doors of the church blown off. The wind came from inside and it blew past the doors, blew them completely off. And the force of the wind began to just flow out into this county from here. It was almost as if the wind was moving from here out into the whole county. I believe that we will see that, that it will occur. May the Lord do His will for us. One other thing. Uh, pastor was talking about loneliness. There's someone here that it's not just loneliness, it's depression. And in fact, uh, the Lord gave me a vision for you. I saw you wandering in a desert place, literally in the desert. And the word that the Lord gave me was lost. That in fact, this person was lost and feels that way. Feels as if they've been wandering. And in fact, there's, there's just, they're just completely lost. They don't know where to go. And in fact, this wandering is, is, uh, just a, is, is the byword for their life. But in that, as they were wandering, I saw... A stream bubbling up literally in the desert and Isaiah 43 says that he will make streams flow in the desert and if this is you the Lord's promise to you is this I will fulfill Isaiah 43 in your life thanks be to God well it is true that I'm a professor and uh, you may be thinking oh my golly this is going to be boring tonight I don't blame you for feeling that way. And uh, I understand completely why you might feel that way. Because in all honesty, I was bored to tears many times with professors that I had. How many years did I go to school? Well, uh, this is what I call God's idea of a joke. Uh, and uh, I had decided I uh, wasn't going to go to college. And you're <laughs> I decided that I wasn't going to go. Why? I I couldn't figure out why anybody would want to do that to themselves, sit in a classroom for like four years. Why would anybody want to do that? So when I came to the Lord, I was more than happy to do whatever the Lord wanted. And uh, so I I was sold out for Jesus. And uh, let me just tell you exactly as much as I can, I'm an example of someone who was forced to go to church. And what I mean by that is I hated church. I just absolutely hated it. And, and one of the funny things I hear is, well, I don't want to force my kids to go to church. Well, well, I'm one of those examples of a kid that was forced to go to church against his will, didn't want to be there, but I heard the gospel. And even though I resisted it, and resisted it firmly, and even said to myself, I don't want to be like them. And uh, I, th- I thought like I was cool. So, you know, I didn't want to be like a church person. And so, uh, you know, I was just absolutely against it. Well, God has a sense of humor. And uh, part of the way he worked is there was this really cute girl. And I asked her out. And lo and behold, she was a Christian. She agreed to go out with me. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not sure why that she went out with me. Uh, But uh, on our first date, I put my arm around her. And uh, she grabbed a book and she handed it to me. And it said Christian dating. (laughs) And I was like, huh. And I thought, well, you must think kind of full of, you're sort of full of yourself to think that I'm going to read a book for you. But she was kind of cute. <laughs> and I thought, okay, I'll, maybe I'll just look at it. It had nothing to do with Christian dating. It was the plan of salvation. I mean, it was like, it should not have been called Christian dating. I mean, maybe there was like, I don't know, like three sentences on Christian dating. The whole thing was how to get saved. And so I'm reading this and I'm going, huh. What you may not know is that God was coordinating a whole bunch of things to bring me to this place. I uh, was uh, originally going to be a baseball player. I'm not that big. I'm not tall enough. uh, And truthfully, uh, all the things that people say about the right body height is probably true in my case because uh, I was scouted by the number one school in the nation for baseball, but I had a very, very freak injury where my... My uh, one of the muscles that connects the scapula, that little thing in the back, it just blew. And I let it heal uh, and then it blew again. And I went and sat down with the Baltimore Orioles or orthopedic surgeon and he just said to me, some people are meant to play ball and others aren't. And you're not one of them and your body won't sustain it. Well, I was like, so now what do I do? I had planned on being like rich. <laughs> yeah. You know, look, I'd have taken the five-year deal. You know, I, I, and, and I was going to drive a red sports car. And, you know, I, I, I didn't need to do anything. And so now it was all gone in a second. Now, sometimes when I talk about suffering, I use this as an example. Because had suffering not come into my life, I would have never looked for God. Now, you might say, I don't want any. Can i give you a clue this is not heaven and in fact jesus says these words in this world you will have troubles i have read that that's what he says now having said that though god has a plan for all of those who call upon his name and all things were to the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose so in fact in that moment I began to ask questions and I did some I didn't even tell anybody. I started reading the Bible. Now in my family I had a person who was perhaps the best example of Christianity that I've ever seen in my life. Was my mother. And she was everything that a person should be, but she didn't shout it out. She was quiet. She was gentle strength. She was what meekness is. And I saw in her the strength that my very, very successful father, who was CEO of a company, did not have. And when the chips were down and when things were rough, people would call my mom. And she was yet unassuming, gentle, meek, quiet, but strong as could be and so she was exactly this thing called gentle strength and I saw it before my eyes the world and heaven well the truth of the matter is I wanted the world and um, then um, my girlfriend told me she was pregnant and uh, In my mind, I thought to myself, well, you need to get an abortion. How old was I? 16. And so um, I was uh, not real happy about this whole situation. And what occurred is she went out and got an abortion herself without really asking me anything more than, do you want it? No. No. During the abortion she got cut and the doctors told her, by the way, uh, just in case you don't know, abortion is a surgical procedure. And while it is true, just to be fair, because I'm a PhD, more women do die from childbirth than abortions, that's true. But if you're asking me, is it a surgical procedure? Sure. And I don't know if you've ever remembered, if you've ever had surgery, you sign this little form where you, you acknowledge that in fact things can go wrong. And um, particularly if you're gonna go under with the anesthesiology, I remember first time I went under, it was in the spirit, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Actually it was, <laughs> uh, the other side. <laughs> they say, you know, possible complications can occur, including death. And I'm like, I'm not signing this. <laughs> like, well, they won't give you anesthetic. And you have to go through the surgery without it. I'll sign it. That'll be fine. <laughs> well, the reality is, I felt like a heel. Because when she told me she couldn't have children, what she didn't know is, I didn't care what about her. And she loved me. She'd have married me in that, on a heartbeat. And I realized, my sins had found me out. Well, uh, as I was driving along, my father was actually driving, a car ran a stop sign, and I saw this car coming towards where I was in my passenger seat. And as the car was about to hit, anybody ever been in an uh, uh, accident and you're the passenger? It really is true what they say. It's like in slow motion. I mean, it is kind of crazy. I mean, it's sort of like everything slowed down And at the moment of impact, the glass shatters. And it's like you're watching yourself in a movie. I don't know if it was that way for you all. Anybody been in a car accident that Yeah, okay, so you know what I'm talking about. It's kind of weird. But in that moment where the car was hitting and the glass was shattering, in my head I heard a voice, which wasn't God, say, you're headed straight for hell. Now, uh, obviously, I survived. But I got out of the car, and I thought to myself, I didn't tell you this. I was a very violent person before I got saved. I was going to go over and wrap my hands around the little girl's neck who ran the stop sign and choke her to death. And as I walked over to her to choke her little neck, a voice said to me, She wasn't sending you to hell. You were. And so I stopped. And I didn't choke her to death, which is probably a good thing. But it jarred me. Because I remember thinking, what would I have said to God if I would have died in that moment? What would I say about a wasted life what would I say about the life that he gave me, that I just spoiled and ruined others people's lives with? What would he say about a life that was absolutely selfish, absolutely indulgent, absolutely could care less about other people? My uh, daughter was a pre-med student at uh, Southeastern. And one of the things you do is you go through uh, profiles of people. And she looked at me one day and she goes, you know, if the, if the Lord hadn't got a hold of you, I think that you would have been a sociopath. It's always nice to hear from your daughter. <laughs> Thank you, honey. Thank you so much. And she goes, you'd have been, you'd have been like one of those evil geniuses that would have been sort of trying to like steal thousands of dollars from banks or something like that. And I was like, yeah, probably, yeah, that'd be cool. (laughs) But he did get a hold of me. And the next time I saw that young lady who I went out on a date with, she did something I would encourage all of you to do. She said, are you ready to give your heart to the Lord now what she didn't know is that God had been preparing my heart all along and he had been tracking me down and coordinating all these things to this moment and what she didn't know is I was actually praying because I thought I should try this religion thing out and that night I went home and I got on my knees And I said, everything I am, everything I desire, I give to you. I give you all of me, not a part, not half, but all. In that moment, I felt something come inside me. And all of a sudden, I felt all of my sins just drop, gone. And I felt completely free. I felt joy in my heart. I felt like I, would, I could be happy without the use of drugs, without the use of sex, without the use of whatever it might be. I, I could actually be happy. And this happiness began to just... It just began to to well up inside of me and just eek out of me. It was coming out of my ears. It was just everywhere. And my brother walked up to me, who I tormented for pretty much his whole life. (laughs) He said to me, so you're a Christian, huh? I said, yeah. And he went, wham! And nailed my arm. Unfortunately, I just read, turn the other cheek. (laughs) So I thought, I guess a shoulder will do. (laughs) And so I went, and I presented my other shoulder. Well, he saw me do that, and he wound up with everything he could, and he put... 15 years of anger in that one punch so that I would feel all of the pain that I caused him. And so he reared up and he hit me as hard as he could and it did hurt. There was no like protection from God or an angel standing (laughs) in the middle. No, there was no angel. It was me feeling that pain. And I looked at him and I'm not sure if this was a sanctified statement. But I said to him, you should thank God that I'm saved. (laughs) Because we both know how this would turn out. And he said, I hate you. And I said, I understand. I'd hate me too if I was you. And I'm sorry. I'm really sorry for everything I've done to you. And he goes, I hate you. At night he called from his bedroom. And he said, will you pray with me so that I can become a Christian too? I said, no, (laughs) no, I'm just joking. (laughs) So that's for that punch. No. <laughs> but God was on a journey of changing me radically. The power of God is not limited to human psychology, human physiology, human anything. And so while it might have been true that I would have been a sociopath. If God hadn't got a hold of me, he did. Well, it was true, I was a horrible student. <laughs> I missed my first period of class in my senior year 61 times. You should probably say close your ears, children. So God's idea of a joke is I go to this charismatic meeting. And I was a Southern Baptist. And I mean... I mean, people are really doing weird stuff there. I mean, like they men are hugging men. I'm like, oh, no. no. It's not going to happen. Mm-mm. And yet, they seemed happy. And so I was sort of going, hmm. Interesting. Happy people. Like, I like being happy. I don't want men hugging me, but I, want, I'd like when, I think I could be happy. I could do this. And then they began to pray. And a holy hush fell over the place. And then, all at once, people began to do something I'd never heard before. They began to just like, it seemed to me babble. But what was weird is that it happened all at once and there was like almost everybody doing it at the same time. And it just sort of, it was sort of like music, it just rose up and had this crescendo and then it just all came down and it was gone. And I thought, that's kind of cool. Now the reality is I couldn't possibly imagine that I'd ever be holy enough for that to happen to me. I was like, wow, oh, these people like really holy. And then they'd like pray for people, and they'd be healed. And you're like, well, you probably just imagine that. No, I mean, I saw it. I mean, it was really cool stuff. I mean, people were actually healed. And then they would prophesy things, and people would get what we call words of knowledge and things would come true and happen they come back the next week and they say oh well, this happened and i'm like trying to take this all in and so finally what occurred is my next door neighbor who was who was part of this group of people who prayed she said and by the way there's like 2 or 300 of them praying every single night for one thing that the holy spirit would move among them and uh she said, uh, have you ever considered Joe being baptized in the spirit? I said, well, I don't think I'm holy enough for that. And she goes, "That has nothing to do with being holy. I go, well, well then maybe I could. And she goes, no, it's, it's just if you want it. And I said, really? I mean, all you got to do is want it? And she goes, sure. And she said, there's a class on it, and you can, like, ask your questions and look through the scriptures and, you know, try to understand it. And, and I said, okay, yeah, that's cool. So I went through this class and at the end of it, they laid hands on you and prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now this is guide's idea of a joke. So a little old lady, it's always the little old ladies. I don't know why. (laughs) Little old lady walks over to me. She lays her hands on me and she says these words, the Lord is telling me that you will get your PhD in apologetics. I'm like, "Oh, the jokes on you. I'm not going to school." <laughs> but I thought, that's a really weird thing. I told my dad. and he said, "Well, you might as well want to walk on the moon." <laughs> and he wasn't trying to be cruel. he was just trying to be honest. Look, you're not a good student. You're just not. And you know, my parents were always trying to figure out, what could he do? Since he really can't do anything, <laughs> I was like, "Well, you know, I don't know. Maybe I, I don't know. Maybe I could like, like, tell jokes." And they're like, "No." <laughs> well, I, so this lady says, "You're going to get your PhD," and I'm like, "Wow!" So for the first time in my life, I thought maybe I'll go to college. I'll just try it. As God would have it, I went to a state school, and I think it would not be too much to say, they just hated religion. And my professor, I was assigned because I signed up for religion, which they they didn't actually have any courses, but they had a religion major. I don't know how you do that. Right, I think what happened is it was left on the books, and it was just there. And so I go to my professor and I said, hey, I signed up to be a religion major, and I'm wondering, how do you become a religion major if you don't offer religion courses? And he goes, we hate religion. I go, oh, I'm off to a great start here. This is really gonna be good. What I didn't know is that he was, without question, the best professor in the whole school, and God had placed him as my advisor. And he said, you should take my class. Take philosophy. All my friends said, you're gonna lose your faith. I have to be honest with you. I don't know what occurred. But all of a sudden, my brain just clicked. And I got an A on everything, which was very unusual. I was like, this guy's really easy or he just likes me. And so I took all of his courses. And then after I took his, he said, well, you should try these other professors. I take the, I was done my degree in two years and all the time I'm going, huh, I wonder if that little old lady actually got it right. Yeah. And one of the signs came to me when my, I talked to my girlfriend who later became my wife, to take a course with me, cause I told her it was so easy. <laughs> it's the only C she ever got in college. and She was upset because she didn't get even B's. And she said, you said this course was easy. I said, it is. <laughs> and she goes, no, it's not. I go, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's pretty easy. <laughs> I didn't realize that God was up to something. And when I began to realize it, then I thought, you know what? Maybe I should, like, go get my master's degree. And then I began to notice my professors were scared of me, which was so much fun. (laughs) And so it just made it all the more enjoyable because I could beat them to the punch just about every time. And since I liked fighting as a child, I just switched to intellectual sparring. (laughs) And it was like, wow, this is like pretty cool. And When I got to my PhD, I was finally starting to believe that God had called into being something that he saw long ago and just said, this is what I'm gonna do. Now, I'm gonna tell you when I graduated, my dad walked up to me and he said, I'll be darned. He said, you said that you were going to get your Ph.D. And I said, no. What I said was God was calling me to do it. God can do anything. And there just isn't any limit to what he can do. And Paul and I and Taylor were talking about a good friend of mine who... Uh, if I have time, I'll tell a story of miraculous healing, but uh, we were talking about even flying him in here, and, it, and what he likes to say when we're together is, I knew him when he was dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Friends like that. Who, who needs, yeah. So our scripture tonight is about God being able to do anything. And so let's take a look at our scripture, and we'll, we'll throw it up there. It's... Uh, from the book of Mark, it is told three different times in the Bible. It's Mark five twenty-four through 34. And by the way, what this is talking about will not be the only time it's talked about in Mark. In fact, we'll see another instance, or if you wish to look, you can find another instance. Now, let's begin to read. This is Mark five twenty-five, and it's a very famous story, but we'll try to get into it a little bit to talk about it. And so, oh, you don't have the text? Is the text up or no? No, may I grab your Bible? Thank you, sir. Oh, this is the nice one. (laughs) All right, Mark 5, 24, you can read along with me. And he went off and a large crowd was following and pressing in on him. A woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years, uh, let's see, and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather she'd grown worse. Let me stop right here and just say, even though I absolutely believe in healing and seeing lots and lots of incredible miracles, if you ask me, is it okay to go to a doctor? Sure, Abs- absolutely believe it's okay. And uh, some of the greatest people who've been used in healing in the world, uh, they've gone to doctors. I know Reinhardt, knew. No, he's dead now, Reinhardt Bunke personally, and uh, uh, I will tell you, there's no question. Uh, he had his own personal physician. As a matter of fact, I will tell you, Catherine Coolman, uh, same thing, uh, and incredible displays of power. If you've never seen any of the Catherine Kuhlman ministry, you, you should you should YouTube that, yeah. the Las Vegas one, or she goes to Las Vegas to Sin City. Unbelievable. There's an atheist there that gets healed. <laughs> And they get her, she gets him up on stage, and he goes, yeah, I didn't believe any of this. She goes, what do you think now? I believe. <laughs> so, so she had spent all of her money and gotten worse. And hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him. Now, I'm going to stop right here. She realized the one thing that is going to make or break the power of the Holy Spirit. And here it is he is here and so she heard that jesus was here and she wanted to go see him why because she had what i call desperate faith the bible says blessed are you who hunger and thirst after righteousness that's a bad translation the scriptures actually say it this way in the greek blessed are you who are starving You hear the difference? I mean, you can be hungry. Okay, if I preach long enough, some of you will be hungry, I'm sure. (laughs) But for what? (laughs) And so she wasn't hungry. She was starving. She had an issue of blood for 12 years. Now, if you've ever had an illness that has lasted a long time, it can get discouraging and it can get overwhelming and you feel like giving up. But what occurred is that she realized that he is here. And she thought, now's my chance. And it could be for that way for you today. All that you have to realize is that in fact he is here. That's right. Now you may say, Well, Dr. Davis, God's everywhere. I realize that. <laughs> is it? I do, I do to actually teach theology, <laughs> but what most people don't realize when they say something glib like that, "Well, God's everywhere," is that in fact the Scripture teaches very clearly a concept that I want to leave you with today, and I want you to grab hold of. It's called the density of His presence. You remember Moses? He's looking for sheep. And he goes sort of looking around, and he hears the sheep bleeding. And all of a sudden, he sees something which looks a little strange. And it's a a bush that's on fire, but it's not burning. And he hears a voice as he approaches to look at it. Because, I mean, let's be honest. You see a bush that's burning. It's not actually consuming anything. You're kind of interested. And so he starts to go a little closer. And as he gets closer, he hears a voice say to him, Boosh. That's so cool. <laughs> Moses. And any bush calls your name, it's probably got your attention. <laughs> now, he probably might have been thinking, maybe I'm hallucinating here. You know, I've been out in the desert a little while. The sun has baked my brain, maybe. I've been the sheep I've got to me. I don't know. Maybe I've lost it. <laughs> but then the voice says something very interesting. Take off your shoes for the ground on which you tread is holy ground. Moses takes off his shoes. And I'm going to guarantee you, if you are in the presence of the Lord and you begin to feel him and you begin to sense that the density of his presence has increased, it is now time To bow your head before God. To realize who He is. And while it is true that the basis of our faith is that God came down to where He is, it doesn't mean that He's ever stopped being holy. In fact, when Jesus teaches us to pray, He begins with these words, Our Father. And then He says the description of who God is. Who art holy. Sometimes said this way, hallowed be thy name. But really, it's the idea of holiness. You are holy. And this is the way that Jesus begins to pray. And this is how we begin, when the Lord begins to show up in strength and the density of his presence, there is the holiness of God that overcomes a congregation or a people or a person. Now, let me explain the theology behind it for you. You're like, I knew he was going to do that. Because God is spirit, he can hand habit something to the degree that he wants to. And so in fact, in the same way that we can turn up the heat in this room or the air conditioning in this room, God can increase his self, just like we would increase heat. And so It is true that, in fact, he can localize it to a person because he's not confined by space. Why? The creator of the box is not bound or confined or defined by the box. And, in fact, he's the creator of it. Therefore, what his creation is never controls him. He controls it. And even to the degree that he's in it, he controls it. So what occurs is that God comes to the degree that he wants to. Now, is he always here? Yes, he's always here. But the degree to which God comes is totally up to him. And what occurs in that moment when God says, you're on holy ground, what he's saying is, the density of my presence is so much that you should realize that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And you need to understand exactly who you are dealing with. Let me give you an example. Why is it that Satan and his demons are not allowed to repent? The answer is proximity, because they are so close to God that the density of his presence, there is no mistakes, because in fact what has occurred is that you have seen God face to face. God creates distance for us and shows up to the degree that we can handle it, because he even says to Moses, no man can see my face and live. And so the density of his presence is so strong that if, in fact, that if you got even just a fourth of that density, an eighth of that density, a tenth of that density, you would be consumed. Why? Because he's a holy God. So what begins to occur if we begin to approach God as he calls us to, we begin to understand. So what occurs when this lady sees Jesus and she realizes, here's God. She recognizes that, in fact, all she has to do is touch the hem of his garment. Why? Because the density of his presence is so strong, even his garments are feeling it. They say, Dr. Davis, how can that be true? It is also true in Acts 19, verse 12, if I remember correctly, I think we'll put it up there, that in fact... The density of God's presence was so strong that even the handkerchiefs of Paul were anointed and people were healed through them. It has nothing to do with the healing power of a handkerchief. It's the density of God's presence that makes it powerful. And so what occurs is, the greater that God increases his density, the more is required of us. And so church, here is the word that I have for you. Much is required because in fact you are coming into the presence of the Lord. And in fact when you enter into his holiness and the density of of his presence. In fact, he is calling you to take off your shoes, for you are on holy ground. Now, what begins to occur, God never invites you into the density of his presence unless he's got something up his sleeve, something that he wants to do. And so he says to Moses, I have seen the affliction of my people, and I'm sending you. This is exactly the word of the Lord to you. I have seen the bondage of my people. And I'm sending you. And so, when God blows off the doors and He blows out the door, and the power of the Holy Spirit goes through, He's taking you with Him out into the world. And so, that we must prepare our hearts for His usage. So the density of God's presence can be localized. And so let me encourage you, while we were worshiping, you may or may not have felt the density of his presence. And I don't know if you did, but I'm, I'm going to say it this way. I've been in services, and I've been a Pentecostal charismatic for a long time. And, and in fact, I've been in services where people say, did you feel the presence of God? And, and I didn't want to answer because the answer was, not really, no. Well, what was occurring at that moment was the density of God's presence was so localized that, in fact, a person felt it and I didn't. In other words, if God is not confined by space, if God isn't bound in a box, then, in fact, he could pour out his spirit here and not here. Now, it doesn't mean that a person's not saved. It just means at that particular moment, there's a need for either mission or healing or both. And so what's occurring is God begins to pour out his spirit. Now, can he pour it out on a place? What do you think? Yes. Well, first of all, he's not limited. <laughs> Second of all, he sort of likes to reveal more of himself. And so what's the, what's the end here as we read the scriptures? The end is you will be in the density of his presence so much so that the sun won't even need to appear. There will be so much glory just coming from him. And in fact, you may not know this, but the word in Hebrew for presence is the same word as face. And so, in fact, when the Bible says that we will see him face to face, there's some interesting thing going on here because it's talking about the presence of God in a very personal way, in a very powerful way. And so, here's what I want to say to you. When that woman touched the hem of his garment. She realized who was here, he is here. But she knew, she even said, all I have to do is just touch the hem. There's so much power available that if I just touch the hem, Jesus feels it. He says, who touched me? It's kind of a funny exchange because Peter goes to him. <laughs> Maybe I've noticed here now, like a crowd. <laughs> and, you know, like everybody's sort of pushing in here. And you're asking, who touched me? Could have been one of 20. Who knows who touched you? Jesus doesn't stop. He goes, I felt power go out from me. Now, I don't know if you saw this scripture, but I I, I want to tell you about this. This woman, in fact, her desire was so great and so desperate. She would not be stopped by Jewish ritual law or by anything that man could create. And so she reached forward because she believed that he really was here. And she sensed the density of his presence that all she needed to do was just just touch a little bit of the hem, not even Jesus, just the hem. And she would be made whole. How much of God's self does He need to heal? <laughs> Just a millisecond. I mean, so little. He blinks and the world disappears. He speaks and light occurs. He wills and the universe is placed. He can do anything. He does not have limitations. Not even by time, not, upon, not even the theories of human beings that say that God can't heal today. That God can't do these things. I'm just shocked. How is it that God has a limitation? I'm just wondering how, how is this working that he doesn't have the power to be able to do things. I don't understand that. And I never have. The Lord has, from time to time, used me for these things. And I'm going to be very, very honest with you. I think because I really believe that he can. You're like, well, I believe too. I don't doubt that. I have, I'm not going to question your faith. I don't. I'm not God. But what I do know is I, I actually think he can do these things. And I've seen him do unbelievable things. Things that people, I know, would just say, well, that couldn't possibly happen. As a matter of fact, I thought about it. I'd write a book that says this. I know you won't believe this, but. And then just start beginning to tell some of the stories. I was Paul and Taylor's heard a bunch of them numerous times because they took a n- number of my classes, so I repeat my stories. I'm joking. Well, maybe not. But anyway. <laughs> but, uh. I was in the church not too long ago, and the Lord just said to me, I'm forming someone's ankle. And there was a woman there who did not have an ankle. You say, well, what happened? What do you think happened? He formed an ankle, and she stood up on it. And you say, that's not possible. Really? Why? Why? Because you think I'm doing it? Is that, what, is that what you think you think I'm the one doing? <laughs> well, of course it's not possible. If I'm the one doing and people say, well God doesn't need human beings to heal you're you're absolutely right, and he doesn't need human beings to evangelize either The way I'm reading the Bible, I'm not sure that God ever needs you because number one, uh, see, I've got to do theology again. It's not actually possible for God to have a need because you always have to ask the question, where did the need come from? If he's the creator of all things, it's not possible for him to have a need. I got that. All right. Must have some good teaching here. And so it isn't like God needs you to go tell others about him. As a matter of fact, my tour guide in Israel, you know how he came to the Lord? Jesus appeared to him. He's Jewish. And so what occurs is, he has some Christian friends and they said to him, listen, whenever you really need a prayer answered, you pray to Yeshua. And, and if you ever get to that point, you just pray to Yeshua. Well, what happened is his wife uh, was given birth to her, his firstborn. But in the birthing process, she's having a problem because her heart's not working real well. Well, they, they, the baby is born and everything's fine. But the doctors begin to examine her heart and they realize that in fact she probably won't make it for another month. Well, he's devastated. Here I mean, can you imagine you have a new child and you've just been told your wife's not going to live a month. And the doctors tell him, Listen, if she we'll put her on the heart transplant list, but she's she's gonna be gone soon. And so you need to prepare yourself. Well, he goes home and he's weeping his eyes out. You know, can you imagine all the emotions? I have a child and now I'm losing my wife. And so in his distress, in his desperateness, he cries out, Yeshua! 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 And the Lord himself appears. He doesn't say anything. He just smiles. And as soon as the vision is done, the phone rings, it's the hospital. You're not gonna believe this, they say. You like the title of my book? You're not gonna believe this. But a heart has just become available close by and we're gonna operate within the hour. Will you come down? And from that moment on, he never doubted what he saw. And so this woman had a desperate faith. And she recognized that Jesus himself was here and the density of his presence was so strong that it even... Was spreading out into his garment. By the way, it isn't just Jesus that this would be true of. I don't know if you remember, but uh, we have similar things in the Old Testament. Do you remember Elisha's funeral? They throw a dead body on his dead body, and the boy is healed. Now, you might say, well, why didn't God heal him? Can I explain something? You're not meant to be healed to reach the end of this age. In fact, no matter how many times you get healed, you're going to die. I'm sorry to spoil this for you. You probably haven't realized this yet. (laughs) Now, was there a group of Pentecostals years ago who said that they were never going to die? Yes, yes, they were called the Manifest Sons and Daughters of Destiny in the 40s and 50s. And they said, well, You know, sin is defeated, Uh, we're we're not going to die. Would you like to ask me what happened to them? (laughs) They died. Every single one of them. I like to say they died of bad theology. (laughs) Because the Bible doesn't say that you're going to avoid death in this world. It says that what's going to happen is that the outer man wears away. Now, I'm not real happy about that. But the reality is, it's only because this isn't it. And no matter how much you want it to be heaven, what you are going to experience in this earth is you're going to experience just the hem of his garment. But the whole enchilada is coming later. And you will behold his presence like nothing you have ever experienced. And one of the reasons that, that I think that we ought to worship is because there's no question there's a link between the Lord revealing his presence in the midst of worship. No doubt about it. And I can remember a time at the church that I was pastor of years ago. We had just been written up in a local newspaper about the healings that had occurred. And uh, my good friend Butch had had a rather miraculous healing. Uh, What had occurred is when he was a child, he was running through the forest, and um, a twig got stuck in his eye. Yeah. And actually, I was with him, and he pulled out the twig, and on the end of it was... Was was nothing. I don't. What, where were you going? Where, where, What were you? What were you thinking? What what, what were you thinking? I was going to say. Actually, he flicked it. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> and then he said, "I got my eye on you." <laughs> no. Okay, none of that is true, except for the eye being pierced. (laughs) Okay, none of that, just the eye was pierced. (laughs) Well, anyway, he wore glasses, and uh, he couldn't really see out of this eye, which a stick had really gone, I mean, pierced his eye. And uh, so anyway, we were at this uh, prayer meeting, and um, he gets home, and he hears the Holy Spirit say to him, take off your glasses. No. I should say, what was he doing when the Lord spoke to him? He was reading the Word of God. And he took off his glasses, and he felt his eye go. And he put his hand over his eye, and he looked at the page, and he could see perfectly. By the way, this is written up. This isn't something that, you know, it's just a story. I mean, it's a true story, regardless. But he went to his doctor, and we have it recorded. His doctor said, I don't believe in God. (laughs) And I don't believe in miracles. But this is without question, the most unexplainable thing that I have ever seen in all my years of medicine. He says, because not only did your eye heal, but your eye has better vision, perfect vision, He said, in this eye and then your other eye. But then he said, what's really miraculous is that the scar tissue is not visible. And there's no possibility that an incision would not have scar tissue, particularly after all this time. He said, but it is as if it never occurred. We're having service, and every now and then the Holy Spirit will anoint areas of my body that are being healed. As a matter of fact, I can tell you that, that God doesn't just do it in one way. Sometimes I'll hear a word. Sometimes it'll be an intense heat. Sometimes it'll be a knowing. He just does it the way that he wants to, and it's not up to me to lock him into a particular thing or way. And so... The Holy Spirit was beginning to move very powerfully. And the Holy Spirit just spoke to me. And I saw, and I don't know how to explain it. There was a gentleman who off to my right, and I saw him, and I just saw the presence of the God just come upon him. And the Lord said to me, I'm healing Harry's back. Who was Harry? Harry was a male prostitute. Who had come to our church because he wanted to get free of drugs, and we would help people who would get free of drugs. And so as I saw this, I said, The Lord is healing someone's back. And at that moment, he went, Oh, 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 oh. And he starts going, Oh. And he goes, I think I just got healed. <laughs> now, the Holy Spirit had already told me that he was healing his back. And so I said, Harry, come on up here. Tell everybody what happened to you. And he goes, yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, I, I used to, like, be crouched and couldn't. I, I mean, my back, I, I think I'm taller. And he goes, I can stand up straight. And I said, Harry, can you touch your toes with your back problem? He goes, no. I said, go ahead and touch your toes. And he reached down and he touched his toes and he went, I can touch my toes. (laughs) And I said, yes, I'm sure you can. And he said, what was that? And I said, Harry, that's the Holy Spirit. And I said, do you mind if I pray with you? And he said, no. I said, but before I do, I want you to tell everybody, what was it like when the Holy Spirit touched you? And he said, it was like the best shot of heroin I ever had. We're trying to have church here. Okay. Could you be a little bit, could you be a little, you know, more sanctified? (laughs) I said, when he said that, the whole place cracked up. I said, well, hopefully it's a little better than that. And he goes, I've never felt anything like that. I said, let me pray with you. And when I laid my hand upon him, and this generally does not occur, just being honest here, I felt something like lightning shoot right through my hand. And it was so powerful, it knocked him down three or four rows. And after I prayed with him, there was like a residue. I could feel it. It was like a residue on my hand. And there was a lady there in the church. She loved coming uh, for the teachings. She didn't believe any of this Holy Spirit stuff. And so, I felt this residue on my hand, I thought. (laughs) (laughs) And I started to walk back towards her, and her eyes like got real big like this. (laughs) And I just took my pinky, because you know, sometimes people think that people are pushing people down. And so, I just took my pinky and I placed it on her forehead, and when I did, she looked like she was shot out of a cannon. <laughs> and she said to me, afterward, she goes, what was that? And I said, that's what you've been saying doesn't exist. <laughs> and she is like, well, I guess it was wrong on that one. <laughs> this lady, touched the hem of his garment. And Jesus, here's the word in Greek, felt power go out of him. And he turns around and he says, who touched me? He's not doing this to embarrass the lady. He's doing it to actually reaffirm her faith. And she says, I did. And Jesus said, your faith has made you well. She believed that he is here. She believed that God can do anything. And finally, she believed that he loved her and wanted to heal her. Now I know all of the questions about all the people who, who don't get healed, I understand. And I've been one of them. There's been times where I've struggled with my faith. Like, Dr. Davis, seriously. I mean I, I mean, all these miracles, and, and you're struggling with your faith? Yes, because when you're in pain, it's hard to have faith. I'm just being straight. It's a whole lot easier to have faith when you're not in any pain. This woman had 12 years. frustration poverty as a result of her disease and she wanted to believe in a God that could do it in spite of all the things that she felt so she had a desperate face that was wanting to grab hold of the hem of his garment believing that he could do it and Jesus met her right there total transparency have I prayed for people who aren't healed sure If you ask Catherine Coleman the same question, yeah. Reinhardt Bunke, sure. But why not believe in healing and why not give it a shot? What have you got to lose? You say, well, I could get disappointed. I understand that. And I can remember a time where I was actually angry at God because he wasn't healing me. And why? Uh, He was like healing other people, but not me. You probably never felt these things. You're more sanctified, I understand. Pretty much everybody's more sanctified. Than me. But the worst of it came, a lady came up to the altar, and she said, I need you to pray for my shoulders. I have torn rotator cuffs in both of them. What she didn't know, and which I hadn't told anybody, is that I had a torn rotator cuff. And it hurt like crazy. And, and I was like, Phew. the second part of this is this was my second torn rotator cuff because my first one just was shredded. And I did get surgery on it. God didn't heal it. But uh, the surgery was uh, somewhat successful. But in fact, it took a year to recover. Those of you better have rotator cuff surgery or have rotator cuff problems, it's painful. Yes. <laughs> yes, it took me a year to get fully recovered. Yes, you're right, I know. And I had little kids at the time and they'd run and grab my arm. Oh yeah, oh, I'm gonna hurt you. <laughs> my second one was blown and I went to the doctor and I said, and he goes, well, I think you know how this works. And I thought, I do, and I'm not getting surgery. And so I began to pray. But whenever I'd pray, it wouldn't happen. And so here comes this lady and she goes, I got torn rotary cuffs in both of my shoulders. Would you pray for me? My first thought was, I'm the worst person to pray for you. I mean, I, sh- I-, 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 I got the same thing. Why should I pray with you? And so I thought, well, she's coming in faith. And let me answer that question right now. Some people ask the question, well, you know, well, uh, why, why, why don't people who have the gift of healing just go into hospital and heal everybody? Let me, let me explain it real simply because it's not my gift. What I mean by that is I don't own it. God owns me. I don't own him. You hear me? God owns me, and he does with me as he chooses. Okay. And so it's not like I get to tell God what to do. Yeah. By the way, the, I think if I'm reading the scripture, it says, I am the Lord that healeth thee. Yeah. I'm just a servant as is everybody else. Yeah. So I'm, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to pray. And so I laid hands upon her, and the power of God just comes down. Whoosh, heals her, both of them. She's up going, oh, my golly, I can do that. Oh, I can do that. Oh, look at this. <laughs> and I'm going... Really, Lord? Seriously? I mean, you couldn't have, like, healed it on the way? You know, just sort of. <laughs> so now I've got an attitude. And I'm thinking, well, that's stupid to be angry at God. I mean, by the way, he is perfect. That's right. yeah. And so I'm like, well, I don't know. I can't get angry at God, but I'm sure I'm angry. <laughs> and so for for like a month, I'm going around struggling with the fact that God has healed this person of the same thing through me. He uses me to heal the person of something I need healing on. And so I'm repenting every service. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know you're perfect. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm really sorry. I'm having trouble with this, Lord. I'm really sorry. <laughs> And so anyway, worship was kicking one Sunday. And so, I mean, you know, I was just like, oh, Lord, oh, you know, you're awesome, you're awesome. And so I just stuck my hands up in the air and began to worship him. And then I looked over and I went, I'd be darn. Yeah, I can't, don't think I can do that. And I mean, he healed it perfectly. There's no pain. I never got nothing. Now, I understand. I'm saying this to tell you. I totally understand because I've been there. I know exactly what it's like. But I want to let you know, it's worth the stretch of faith to touch the hem of his garment. And if you, but reach your arm out, there's just no telling what he might do because I've seen him do it. And that old hymn says what he's done for others, he can do for you. Now you say, well, I prayed and it hadn't happened. Keep praying. And Jesus told them a parable in Luke 18 about a woman who kept knocking. And he said, would not even an unjust judge open to that woman? And then in verse 8, he says this, when the son of man comes, will he find any with faith? And if you believe this powerful God, there's no telling what he might do. Well we're going to pray for you tonight. And we're going to ask God to bring the density of his presence. And you might say to me, well he's here, I don't doubt that. And I don't doubt that he can be even more here. Is he here? Sure." Can he do it? Yep. And we must take that stretch. That stretch of faith. Well, I told you about my good friend Butch, and I told you about how he was healed miraculously with his eye. And uh, it would be fun just to stay uh, into the wee hours and just tell you story after story after story. By the time we're done, I guarantee our faith would be raised. But uh, Butch's story... uh, Is a story of faith. And I uh, remember um, one time driving up to pick him up for the prayer meeting, and uh, he had a suitcase next to him. And I uh, said, Butch, what do you got your suitcase for? He goes, well, I just got thrown out of my house, my drunk father. I was witnessing to him. He told me to get out and don't ever come back. And I said, oh, well, don't worry. The Lord will take care of it. And he goes, it's easy for you to say, and I go, yeah, but it's still true. The Lord will take care of you. And he goes, okay, let's go to the prayer meeting. Um, I'd never really been used much for healing until this moment. And, uh, I was in this prayer meeting and I had heard that there's something called an anointing where God anoints a part of your body that he's healing. And right now, I want you to do something with me. I'm going to ask the Lord to give you the gift of healing right now. Father, I pray for everybody here that you would anoint them. And actually, the Lord is telling me that I am to anoint you tonight for the gift of healing. Lord, I pray that you would dispense your gifts. And Lord, we understand that there are many different gifts many different callings, but Lord, I pray that you would disperse the gift of healing in this church so that the power of the Holy Spirit might literally, Lord, go out those doors, and that, Lord, that you would touch people, both here and outside, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, my left ear began to burn, and, uh, well, I... Uh, i would never had any experience in this. And so my girlfriend was next to me. I said, is God anointing anything on you? And she goes, my left ear is on fire. And I said, wow, really? And she said, yeah. And so I went to my group leader and I said, I think God's healing someone's left ear. And he was sort of a funny old guy. And uh, he stood up and he goes, uh, somebody's uh, left ear is being healed. Uh, if you need your ear healed, come on down. And uh, so a group, about 20 people, came down. And uh, so they got into a line, and he looks at me, and he goes, okay, Joe, go ahead and pray. <laughs> well, I'd never prayed for anybody. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't actually do the praying. I, 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 don't, I don't really know how to do that. And he goes, nope, the Lord gave you the anointing. That means he wants you to pray. And so I looked at my girlfriend, who also had the anointing up, you too. And she wasn't as hesitant as I. She was like, okay. And so the first person that came in line, I, I just laid my hands upon her because I saw that's what people did. And, and I put my hands on her and all of a sudden she fell to the ground and she started crying uncontrollably. I thought, I hope I didn't hurt you. <laughs> what happened? Lord, what happened? What happened? Well, she was crying so much that it took actually a couple minutes to finally calm her down. And I'm sitting there going, Oh my God, I don't think I'm going to ever pray for anybody again. This is what's going on. And so when she finally stopped crying, she stood up, and the leader said, What happened? And she said, I was born deaf in my left ear. And I can hear every single thing that you're saying. Now, now if the story ended there, it'd be a great story, but this is a twofer. Her daughter had committed suicide. She did not know the Lord. And she came with a broken heart. And she was searching for God. She was searching for somebody who loved her. She had desperate faith. She wanted to touch the hem of his garment. And so she came looking for healing because she was hurting so bad. And he was there. And when he touched her, her whole life changed. And she said, I'm so happy that if anybody ever needs a place to go, you let me know because I, I have lots of rooms in my house. My friend went, could I uh, go stay at your place? She goes, sure. Now what she didn't tell anybody is that she was one of the richest people in the entire county and she had a mansion. It wasn't a house. And so when he went there, I was like, no, no, wait a minute. I was the one who prayed. I mean, I should be, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, at least get a wing or something here, you know. <laughs> <laughs> if the story were to end there, it'd be, a, it'd be an incredible story. But uh, Butch's drunk father went to the doctor and the Well, the reason he went is because his skin was turning yellow. And uh, the doctor said, uh, you have cirrhosis of the liver. And your sins have caught up with you. And you are going to die. There's nothing that we can do to help you. But because my friend Butch had witnessed to him, "Ah, here's the point, didn't work, did it? keep listening. He called him up and said, can I go to church with you? And Butch said, sure. He went to church, and that day there was an altar call, and he came forward, and he gave his heart to the Lord, and he said, I don't have much time left, but what I do I give to you. And and if the story were to end there, It'd be a great story. But in fact, within a couple of weeks of giving his heart to the Lord, his skin changed color. Now, I know that God can't do these things. And I know that those things occurred in the past. But uh, he'd never read that. And so he went back to the doctor and the doctor came in and he said, I uh, don't know how to explain this, but cirrhosis is a scarring of the liver. Your liver has no scars at all. Yes, you can give the Lord a round of applause. (laughs) He said, you have the liver of a child. Now, if the story were to end there, it'd be a great story. But you see, he was serious when he told God, I'll serve you with whatever time I've got. I will serve you with whatever time I've got. He thought he had two months. He went down to one of the nastiest areas in Baltimore City. And he started a church there 40 years ago. (laughs) Who did he minister to? Alcoholics and drug addicts like himself. Now, if the story were to end there... It would be a great story, but he's still there. And you see, the story keeps going and going and going. The woman realized. He's here. That one I've heard about, he's here. She realized, if I can just touch the hem of this garment, I will be made whole. And lo and behold, she felt the density of his presence sweep through her body. I believe that God can do it. I know that he does do it. And so tonight, I would like you to stretch out your hand, and I would like you to touch the hem of His garment. Now what we're gonna do is, we're gonna go back into worship. And we want the density of his presence to fill this place. Because all he has to do is say the word, and it will be so. And if we can but touch the hem, There's more power there than all of the world has. Let's come before the Lord. Will you come now? Will you begin to worship Him as if He was who He says He is. As if He's the God of all creation. The God who speaks and light comes into being. The God who blows gently upon the wind and the Red Sea parts. The God who in death grabbed hold of his body said, No. For I tell you the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead in your mortal bodies. Begin to stretch forth your hand.